welcome back, listeners, to part two of our special mini-series, Corporate Horror and Trauma. I trust all of you are enjoying the happiest time of the year. And yes, I'm talking about October, not talking about Christmas. So, but I want to open today's episode with the topic of values and principles. What do those two words mean to you, honestly? In fact, every time your manager, your supervisor, your fellow executives, or your organization's leaders bring a compelling synopsis of all their values and principles, what are they actually saying versus what are they doing? When executives or coworkers say, we need more innovation and transparency in this organization. Okay, cool. You just gave me nouns that were dropped off at an orphanage looking for help. That's not at all what values and principles are. Your values are who you are, especially when you're operating at your natural best. Every human has them. And your values also get tested when you're at your best state and when you're at your worst state. Your principles are the truths that you carry that hold your entire belief system. So think about the powerful impact of those two fundamental things as a human. What are your values and your principles that you live by? So the next time you see a LinkedIn post that says, we at this company, we value honesty and innovation. I would really challenge the company on how exactly are they doing that? The value isn't honesty or innovation. The value is we at this organization confront the truth and we look at problems from a different angle. So listeners, we talked about the dangers and the trauma that results from ghosting in part one of our special mini series called Corporate Horror and Trauma. But today we bring you part two, Hard Conversations. With co-host MC, the return of guest speakers, Josh Malden, Emmanuel Wiggins, and our newest guest speaker, Jason Kearney. This is Out of So Jason, first off, Thank you for joining us in the disruption that we're creating here on Hard Conversations. And with that, I'm going to ask you a hard question. Are you ready? As ready as I can be. (laughs) Awesome. Glad to hear it. So how many times have you avoided a hard conversation in your life? Work or personal? Doesn't matter. And why did you do it? Too many times to count. (laughs) Yes. Uh, and for lots of different reasons, but usually either I didn't know how to approach the hard conversation or I didn't feel confidence in having it, having it. And the element of feeling confident, why do you think that was important in having the hard conversation? Like what were the worst case scenarios that was going through your head? Uh, I mean, it depends entirely on, on the conversation, but in general, it's not knowing whether or not you're going to get the message across correctly Yeah. and have the outcome that is favorable in doing so. And so it's it's feeling secure and safe to be vulnerable and to flub it up. Definitely. I like that you bring the human aspect of it. You didn't give just like this fluff answer like, oh, I've, I've overcome most hard conversations, Tabby. Like you, you went straight to the point. Like yeah, I've had a little bit too many. Again, we all have. Like we're all humans in this topic. And just I think sometimes when we think about conflict and conflict, just confronting that there is a conflict in the relationship and there needs to be a hard conversation around it. And there's a couple of paths we can take. And then thinking about those paths, we make it into this bigger thing than maybe it actually is. And then we, we just avoid it. In fact, we, we might even deny there's conflict now because we, we exaggerated it so large in our head that there, there actually is no problem. We don't need to have a hard conversation. Nope. I pretty much scared myself out of a hard conversation. I'm just going to avoid it out of fear and cowardice. Yep. Done that. 
<laughs> what does everyone else think? So for me, I don't know that I've ever avoided a hard conversation. I've definitely delayed uh, a conversation. Not all conversations, you know, place and time. So sometimes if someone wants to have a tough conversation or a hard conversation, it may not be the right time or the place to have that conversation. And then I really loved what Jason said about the confidence in it. You know, I've delayed them for that very reason, because it's like, yeah, we need to have this conversation, but I need to be prepared. Some conversations require preparation. I like that. And what preparation would you include in a hard conversation, Manny? If you could break that down for us. So, yeah. So, you know, I know we're talking about a a bunch of different environments, but let's take the professional environment and you're a manager. And maybe you've had several micro conversations with a particular employee. Now it's become a combination of a much larger, harder conversation. They approach you to have that conversation at this particular instant, maybe after a staff meeting or something like that. But you don't have your, I don't want to say evidence, but you don't have the the facts in front of you to maybe go back and help walk. Because it's it's one thing to have the conversation, but it's another thing to be able to hold people accountable mm-hmm. and say like, hey, here's some documentation or some actual instances without going in generalization. Just like on this moment, you did this. And as a byproduct of that, you failed the team because this person had to step up or anything like that. And you need to prepare to have that information so that when they come to the conversation, you can take notes because maybe maybe there were five things that you needed to, five points you need to talk about and maybe three out of the five points were some very valid reasons why they you know it may have been perceived as that they let the team down but then you find out there was something else and now you can negotiate on okay hey i understand how can we approach this situation again if it moves in 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 the future because maybe there wasn't an expectation on how you was going to communicate with me or with the team so that the team didn't perceive that you let them down so i think that type of preparation is needed in order to really have a productive conversation i really agree with a lot of what you said, Manny. And I've also avoided hard conversations for a billion reasons. Some Sometimes I have seen that the situation will resolve itself without my intervention. Like maybe the project is ending or this person is moving along. And the other reasons that I, I typically put them off are I need to make sure that I check in with myself, that my motives are healthy, that I know what I want to get out of this conversation. Why am I having this conversation? Why is this important to me? What do I need to succeed? What is getting in the way of that? So checking in with myself, figuring out what I need, getting the facts and stripping away any kind of conclusions or spin or interpretation, just like also, I just practiced trying to look at things like a security camera would see things. Like if I were watching a video of this event, what would I observe? And try and be as objective as I can so that I can make any other conclusions I want to make after the fact. That's kind of creepy too. Just watching yourself on camera, <laughs> having a hard conversation with someone else and then watching and replaying it over and over and then picking yourself apart. Awesome. This is, this is a <laughs> metaphorical camera? <laughs> Josh is recording um, this all right now. Yeah, he, he really is. Um, 
I do have a follow-up challenge for you all, but MC, go ahead. I think you you wanted to speak to it as well. Yeah, I was just going to say, I, I really think I'm very closely aligned with what Josh was saying on what are the reasons for having this conversation, right? Am I trying to salvage a relationship, personal, professional? Do I need to continue working with this person and we need to be on good ground? Whether mm-hmm. we're buddy-buddy or we're just, we have a strong working relationship. And I think for me personally, right, I think everyone has avoided difficult conversations at some point in time of their life for, for various reasons. But I think for, for me personally, it's just, it kind of comes back to what am I going to get out of this? Am I going to get a, we came to a resolution? Am I going to get a, I'm keeping a friend? Am I going to get a, this person has political power and I might get fired, right? Uh, and and if I see, and if, for me, I think just the bluntness of it is, if I want to have a difficult conversation with somebody and I recognize they might be the type of person, they won't come to the table, honestly. I think I just choose not really to avoid the conversation, but I just choose that it's not worth my time because it, it, it has to be, you know, for it to be called a conversation it has to be a two way street. Right. And if, if you're trying to have that difficult conversation with somebody, maybe it's like a performance issue. Right. Like Manny brought up for someone that you might be managing. If they just don't have the temperament to actually listen and hear what you're saying and they just immediately get defensive and attack back, you know, it, I, it's just not worth the time to me. And I'll just peace out and check out and not have that conversation because it's unproductive. Yeah, you've got to have that level yeah, but unfortunately, of unfortunately, you'll have. Whoa, everybody at once. Okay, I'll shut everybody up. talk. Someone else talk. <laughs> now, now, I was just going to say, unfortunately, MC, there's some conversations that you must have, even if they do exhibit those traits. While I would say that you're lucky if you can, you know, not have those but some, for some folks, they have to have them with those people. I think that's what this kind of conversation we're having is like, how do you have the tools? Because um, there are going to be a lot of one-sided conversations, especially as you go along in your career and you start managing people and you're going to get different peoples with different whys and different motivations of why they're there. So you're still going to have to have those conversations, even though they feel one-sided, but you have to try to, and I, and I think that's where the preparation comes in. Once you know that person or that individual, you want to be prepared enough to make sure that the points you want to get across are gotten across, whether or not they partake in the experience or not is their choice. Yeah, sometimes you just have to deliver a hard truth to someone. Uh, I think a lot about managers having to say like, okay, I know you wanted this promotion, but we're actually seeing that you're underperforming or we got to let you go. Okay, so I see where the path of this theme is going and I'm going to drop a couple bombs only because I want to challenge you on and see what your thoughts are. So I understand the fact that you have to address a pattern of behavior, especially as a manager of your direct reports. You don't want to jump at them the first time. But the thing is, when we talk about trust and we talk about the elements of trust, which we did in a previous episode of establishing accountability, establishing boundaries, establishing reliability, how is that possible without letting someone know that there is conflict? Being able to trust the other person and for them to tell you when there is conflict, when the needs aren't being met, when me as a manager, you're my direct report, you're not meeting my needs, and I'm waiting till the sixth time that you've not met my needs, that's when you're talking to me about this? Why didn't you tell me the first time? So that makes me question the trust in a sense, right? So that's where if I were a direct report to a manager and they're coming to me after the sixth time of me messing up, and I didn't even know I was messing up. No one said anything. So if I had that hard conversation from the beginning and I wasn't being monitored, I probably would have felt more assured 
And I would have trusted the manager more because they were transparent about it from the beginning. So I think about that element. And I also think about the other element that MC brought up, worth my time. So this is where we talk about the time that we spend in the relationships that we build. The time that we spend, whether it's in personal relationships or professional relationships, if we're already spending that time with them and we made that decision to build that relationship, wouldn't the argument be that it is worth my time to have that hard conversation with them because I've already spent so much time as it is, you know, and then think about like the validity behind that and understanding what is a good practice to actually get my message across because conflict arises when one person's, one person's needs in a relationship isn't being met. There's a lot to unpack with that one. So you mentioned something about underperforming people, just in keeping with our conversation. You do have to keep in mind, like, is this person aware that they're underperforming? And, you know, if they're not, you have to think about what level of self-awareness do they need to have? Like, do they have the right amount of self-awareness here? That's not always the case. But I want to push back a little on something that you said I think that it would be a big mistake as a leader to run this algorithmically and say, okay, uh, you must have N screw ups before I have a conversation. With you. <laughs> um, it, it's like these, these kinds of relationships and this kind of feedback culture starts really small and it's really modeled by people at the top, like uh, give and ask for feedback on small things because that's how you build this really deep relationship with someone and this rich relationship. You get feedback as you go. And so when you have to have those hard conversations, you know that you can have them. The other thing I would add to it is, you know, you talked about the two things to consider. I, I would also say there's a third thing that very much needs to be considered in the hard conversation. And that is, what are your assumptions going in? If you can't know the difference between what are your assumptions versus what you know before you go in, it's entirely possible you're going to approach the hard conversation from the absolute wrong angle. And it's very easy to overlook it and not even think about what are my assumptions, because to us, they seem so close that they could feel like fact. And I think it's super key to recognize that you may have an assumption and say, I'm, I'm assuming XYZ here. Am I wrong, Jason? Am I wrong, Josh? Because when XYZ happened, this is how I felt. And it made me assume the intent was this or what you did was that. And just being um, open, honest, and transparent and saying, this is my assumption, let's talk about it. I think that puts a lot of people, gets them off of that like defensive posture, right? And, and it gets them out of that defensive headspace. Yeah, you're, you're showing your homework on your math assignment. This is, this is what I observed. This is the conclusion that I drew from it. What am I missing? How are you seeing it? And I really liked how you framed that because you're speaking about your conclusions and interpretations tentatively. You're not saying definitively that you're a jerk or you really face planted on this project. It's a little bit more framed in nonviolent communication terms. Like this is what you saw. This is how it impacted you or the team. Yeah. One thing I do want to point out, touching on the algorithm in which you go back and you talk to them after so many screw ups, I think it's important to touch on like there's different levels of management. And I think this is where, you know, I think a lot of leaders fail. One, you know, it's different managing a frontline employee as a supervisor, a pure supervisor, who, to use the word earlier, Tabby, monitor. Monitor and give me back. See, that's very frontline-ish supervisor monitoring and want to min minimize or mitigate as many screw-ups as possible, as quick as possible, versus in the space that I'm going to make an assumption that all of us work in, we're just leaders. To manage leaders, you have to give leaders an opportunity to fail and allow their peers to help them correct. So I also believe 
believe that there's different levels of difficult conversations. And going back to Josh's point that sometimes time will cure it because their peers will help correct them or bring things to their attention because they are asking for feedback. And I've worked with you, MC, and worked with you, Tabby. Just think about how many conversations we've had and we've asked each other for feedback. That's a strictly peer-to-peer feedback I want to get better. And so there may not be any conflict that my manager will have to have with me because maybe you guys brought it to my attention um, before it got out of control and we've had those discussions and I was able to self-correct. So I know that that's a a little bit to kind of pack there. I kind of went from frontline to managing people, but I think there's a lot of layers to these difficult conversations. And when you wrap them all up and you bring them all together, you got to really understand going back to what is it that you want out of the, the conversation and what angle you're going at it from. Yeah. And I, I agree with the elements you brought up too, Manny. It definitely does take courage. And sometimes the term hard in hard conversations, it may not be hard. It may be our level of comfort in having this conversation with the person because there is a recognized conflict and we honestly don't know how they're going to respond. And the thing is, the conflict needs to be spoken to because we have to respect our needs as people and not just ignore them because that's when we hurt our own self-care. But we need to have the courage to bring it up with the other person in a format that they will understand, in a format that meets them where they are. And someone wise told me about accepting people where they are versus coming at them with your feelings and then just watching where the chips fall. But I interrupted you, Jason. Go ahead. All I was going to say is, you know, we've had this, we've been talking a lot about hard conversations from the point of management. But I mean, what if these conversations aren't management? Do the do the things we're talking about change? I think so. I mean, so part of what I was referring to earlier when saying like, is it worth it? I think that is a question you would ask yourself more frequently if it's a peer or a friend or a family member versus a manager. Because in those situations, right, unless you're like joined at the hip, you, you can probably work around that person, you know, or live around that person. Whereas if it's a manager, it's like, shit, I got I got to figure out how to go tell the boss he screwed up or I screwed up. And how do we go forward? So I, I, I think that's the gauge for me, at least in, in that regard. This is where I think like I harp on it being worth our time because our time is always worth it, guys. I'm sorry. Like we don't have time to waste on relationships that don't bring us value or joy or whatever the purpose of that relationship is. So I guess I harp on the fact that if there is evident conflict, regardless of what magnitude that conflict is, if you don't address it, what do you think is going to happen? to that conflict over time. It's gonna come up later. And this is where I kind of talk about all these books, like unpack the psychology of conflict management as children. And like, we're taught to apologize after we do the wrongdoing to the other person. Like we push another kid in the sandbox and be like, they piss me off. And then we apologize. But see, when we become adults and we recognize conflict is there, are we just gonna wait until the wrongdoing happens? No, we try to get ahead of it as possible, but we're not taught that as children. So if as children, we're not taught how to get ahead of conflict and to manage those relationships. How do you think we end up as adults? We wait until like shit has hit the fan and then we recognize there's conflict and then we take responsibility. And just, I feel like we could get ahead of that being mindful of our time and respecting the relationships we're carrying with. So hear me out. 
and Josh, I know you've done a lot of I know you've done a lot of work and a lot of stuff on on conflict resolution. Would it just be easier if we could go back to pushing each other in the sandbox and oh then apologizing God. after? Really? You I want just, me to push I you mean, in the sandbox, Mamsie? Is that what you want? I'm just, <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying those were simple times. <laughs> <laughs> my god maybe for you because you were you were always like 200 right? yeah i was like this, this is coming from the guy who obviously was pushing kids in the sandbox no 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 <laughs> i was much smaller than everyone else until my senior year of high school and i that was like six inches and 60 pounds over the summer oh is that just when you put hgh in your gatorade <laughs> Everyone said I was on steroids. <laughs> it was a lie. <laughs> oh my god! So this is what I'm talking about. Like some things. Please have, don't have not push died. people. That is not how we talk. That is not how we resolve conflict. We use our words. <laughs> we use our words, yes. And we we recognize conflict. So this is the denial that like I call out on people sometimes. Like they'll talk about their problems that they're experiencing with their loved ones, their children, with their bosses, and I'm just like, okay. Okay, so when are you going to talk about it? Oh, I, I don't know. I feel like I'll talk about it later when it becomes an issue. It sounds like it's an issue right now. What do you think is going to happen to that issue with time? You think it's going to shrink? Nah, it's going to get bigger because it's affecting you. Your needs aren't being met. So you said something a little earlier that I, I want to, to poke at a little bit when you're talking about meeting people where they are, which in general is a wholly supportable idea. But when you're in situations where you don't have the trust, you don't have that safety or like, I don't know, maybe you've got someone who's just gaslighting you or someone who's being really pushy or shutting you down in meetings and talking over you. And this is a very real thing that people deal with. If I were a woman and I had a male who was talking over me, like, what do I do with that? How do I meet someone where they are when they're obviously causing me harm? What do you do there? I like that situation, I guess, because I am the woman in this conversation. And... <laughs> But it is a tough topic, though, because I feel like it could happen to anybody like you ha you're in a room with leadership and they're talking over you and maybe they're doing it intentionally. Maybe they're not. I think that creates an assumption on our end, but it is happening. So this is where I like the way Simon Sinek breaks down on how we're trying to communicate conflict. He talks about the FBI acronym. So feelings, behaviors, impact. So without those three things, there is a window where someone could get defensive and someone could take what you're saying very poorly, or they could take it in a way that's very confusing for them. Like I actually, are you complaining? I don't know what, what you're trying to communicate to me. So when, when we talk about FBI, as an example that you brought up, Josh, when we were in that meeting with all the other executives and you talked over me, that made me concerned. And I fear if that continues to happen, I'm not going to be able to trust you to have these meetings with you. So FBI, and you say that to the other executive, maybe they get defensive, maybe they get pissed, maybe they flat out ignore you. But the thing is, you addressed the conflict and the, and the minimum format that you could address it. And it's comical because in the way Simon Sinek talks about it, you kind of have to repeat it until they create their own solution themselves, because you creating the solution with them doesn't solve the conflict at all. It almost kind of belittles the conflict in itself because now you're solutioning with them. But Simon Sinek says, repeat FBI until they get to a place where they realize, okay, what can I do to resolve this conflict? How can I hold myself accountable? 
what if I just playing the part of the guy who's talking over you? Mm-hmm. What if I just tell you to calm down? It wasn't really that big of a deal. Can I inject real quick? Yeah, I love that, Jason. Because I'm about to go off. So, yeah, <laughs> I want you to. I definitely want I, you to. I actually want to hear you. I want to hear you go off in a second, but I want to say say something because there's a misconception here on what it means to meet somebody where they are. Because meeting someone where they are doesn't mean accepting them, accepting their behavior. What it means is accepting that you have no control over them. Right. It's not something you do for them. It's something you do for you. Dude, yes. Yes. When we practice FBI, it's we have no guarantee that that's going to work at all. And that's essentially what I was trying to say earlier. Like you, you practice the format in the best way possible to showcase the conflict that is there with that person in that relationship, whether it's work or personal. Because of that uncertainty and that element of risk that comes with hard conversations, I think that's why we avoid it. We need a guarantee that what we're going to say is going to get heard and there's going to be corrective action and everything's going to be fine. But it's not a guarantee. But does that merit avoiding hard conversations? No, because it helps you address the need. It helps you recognize that there is conflict. You did everything on your end to communicate it to the other person. And the other person is aware. What happens when we avoid a hard conversation and we're still in a relationship with that person? We're just kind of at the mercy of the next conflict that arises. Well, under that particular scenario, I personally, I love the FBI thought process, but I feel like there's something missing that happens before you even go into the FBI. And so for me, I've actually been in a situation like that, not necessarily where someone talked over me, but like I wasn't needed for a particular meeting. And so how I went into the conversation was I pulled the person after the meeting was over that had invited me. And I said, hey, from what I understood, this is why I was at this meeting. I wanted to set the, I wanted to level set on my understanding as to why I was even there. So that was the first thing I I, I did, the first point that I made. Then the second point that I made, I said, so if my assumption is correct on why I was there, is that the correct assumption? And if so, what value did you want me to give to that particular meeting? Then I went into, because I didn't have an opportunity to provide my value because of bullet point, bullet point, bullet point. And if this is going to be a reoccurring monthly meeting, and this is going to replicate month to month, I think I could use my time in in a better, you know, for the organization somewhere else than be in this meeting. And so I think the FBI comes after you state why you think you're where you're at. And then you have you ask them the question, what value am I supposed to provide in this form? Because maybe there's a, a miscommunication or may- maybe you were supposed to be a fly on the wall. Maybe they wanted you to observe for some unknown reason because th- maybe they want you to lead it six meetings from now, but they want you to understand the structure, how it goes, whatever, whatever. So ask them why and what value am I supposed to contribute to here and then go into your feelings and then, you know, all and then, you know, the behavior then and then the impact. I think that part of the the beginning part has to occur before you do the FBI, because if not, then the other person could feel attacked a little bit and not really know how to respond. But that question you ask gives them something to marinate on. And now they could come up with yeah, an Yeah, I like that call out, Manny. And that's where we try to practice setting clear boundaries and expectations with every relationship. Because otherwise, and if you think about it from a logical standpoint, does conflict arise when we set our expectations with each other and we've measured boundaries? But this behavior 
behavior is still happening. It's like it's still coming into the space, even though we've had an agreement on it. So let's say the agreement never happened. We never actually talked about boundaries and expectations. And that's why this conflict is happening. So I agree, Manny, like if that conversation hasn't already happened, then definitely do that first and maybe address it in a way. Hey, I'm feeling this way. And I, I will share FBI, but I want to set expectations first with our relationship here, personal and professional. Have any of you heard of clean language questions? This seems like it might be relevant here. Uh, I, I just learned about it myself. Do share. No. Yeah. So if you if you just read these questions, there are about 20 of them. It sounds like you're speaking to a detective working on like a homicide case. But they're really designed to go right before those those FBI things that you're talking about. So when Manny is talking about, hey, this is why I thought I was here, you can ask uh, questions like, is there anything else about that? Or things like that. And it just gets people to elaborate. And it's a very neutral way of getting information out of people in a way that is not confrontational, not combative. Let's just deal in information. No spin. No evaluation. So what's an example of a clean language question, Josh? Well, I asked you one already. Uh, is there is there anything else about that? Uh, or okay. see, there there are a couple of more that are not coming to mind right now, but yeah. it's worth a little Google and I'm going to spend a little more time trying to learn about them. I don't want to ask questions in a way that makes me sound like a robot, but there's definitely something to be learned with how we ask one another questions because we always infuse so much of our viewpoints into things. Yeah, no, I think that's pretty fair. And just, I've started uncovering this topic because I too have had many hard conversations recently. And I want to bring the element of what medium do we choose to have the hard conversation, whether it's text or phone call or Zoom call, to really measure our level of safety in that relationship. Let's say the expectations and boundaries were measured. We've basically reached a point where that person has crossed a line and it's obvious that they crossed a line. We still need to talk about it. And this is pretty interesting because my friends will openly admit, yeah, like, like I'm conflict averse, Tabby. Like I can't handle conflict. I will ghost people to avoid conflict. I'm like, that's pretty funny. We talked about that in the podcast. So in that regard, at what point do you feel that you don't feel safe in having this hard conversation with that other person, physical safety or even psychological safety because they crossed that line? Does that mean they don't deserve a hard conversation at all? Do they deserve to be ghosted? I kind of touched on this in part one too. Like if your physical safety is compromised, I'm a ghost of that person. I don't want to see or hear from them again. But when it, when we talk about psychological safety and what you're going to share with that person to address this conflict doesn't feel safe with them. Do you even bother having or making the time to have an in-person conversation or on Zoom? Do you write them quote unquote a letter to at least give them clarity on what the conflict was and that you've kind of reached the end of this relationship? Trust is not salvage at this point. The jar of marbles is gone. What do you all think? I think that there is another unseen and undiscussed element in this. You're framing a lot of these things in terms of you and the other person. Mm -hmm. But when you talk about things like my psychological safety has been obliterated, my physical safety is in danger. I think that there's a point where we should all realize that we have management and we have HR to get involved in these things as well. Like mm -hmm. there are a lot of levers that we can pull in these conversations. And what, uh, yeah, you talk about physical safety and I'm just like, no one should have to do this stuff on their own. Like if they really don't feel safe, Talk to HR, but you know, to answer your question directly, like 
listen to yourself, check in with yourself, see what feels good about how you want to handle it. If you want to do this over text, if you want to do this in person, like it's really up to you, your confidence and what you feel safe doing. Right. So let's take out the element of, I guess, professional conflict in a sense. Let's talk about personal relationships for a moment. So how would you address a situation where you feel your psychological safety has been compromised with another person? What medium have you all choose in the past? Well, before jumping to medium, the biggest thing to realize at this point is whatever you choose, it's okay. You are a human. You're going to feel the way you feel, and that's okay. And if you didn't feel that you had the safety to approach this, it's okay to feel that way, right? It's not okay that it happened that you felt that way, but it's okay that you feel that way. And so whatever medium you've chosen is going to be the right one for you at that time. I think kind of like I was saying before, it's important to make that known to the person that you're talking to. Like, this might not be the best way for me to convey all this knowledge to you, but this is what makes me feel comfortable. So don't focus on the medium, focus on the message. Because I think a lot of people, I mean, just like go back to go back to just the old school or the new school way of breaking up with somebody, right? It's over text. Like it's so <laughs> A post-it. Right? And, and people, and but it's like, well, why do you think that person needed to break up with you over text? Right. Like, where was your relationship status already if they felt the need they had to break up with you over text now it, it, it might not be you it could be them right they could be shallow and avoiding conflict um so there's there's many reasons to it but i guess i just just again heart back on be transparent with your method of delivery and understand like jason said we're all human i i might write you a letter and that might be most comfortable for me and you might get that letter and be like well what the fuck mc why couldn't you just call me Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, I was afraid you're going to push me down in the sandbox. So I wrote the letter. <laughs> so it's impersonal. Like. Excellent callback. I'm so glad I brought that metaphor. Like I imagine MC pushing like a little tabby like in the sandbox because I stole his juice box. It probably would have happened. Anyway, so I agree with you, MC. The medium that you choose is going to merit, like it's still going to be the right answer because you are choosing to let the other person know and be aware of what has happened. You're not ghosting them. The alternative is ghosting them and they have no idea why they have been ghosted at all. And like, again, physical safety is an exception that I like to harp on. But see, if let's say physical safety is fine and psychological safety is no longer there, they've crossed a line. It's like you're still choosing to, to have the integrity and to have the courage to make known of why this relationship is probably ending and probably cannot be salvaged in a way that is clearly communicated to them. And so, like, we're not all entitled to have a phone call, to be honest. We're not all entitled to have a Zoom call because we have to realize that we, have, we all have a role to play in conflict management. We are in charge of the level of safety we provide to the people that we have relationships with, okay? It's not just the other person. It's two people that create this environment of safety. So the thing is, you're not entitled to a phone call or an in-person conversation. It's kind of a gift to have someone else give you clarity on what happened to have closure and to not feel ghosted. Can I offer a perspective that's probably gonna be unpopular? You know how I like to simplify things. And so for me, when I think about relationships just in general and relationships are very transactional. And I think people just 
don't want to come to that conclusion because, you know, people want to be like, oh, I want to have feelings. I want to have, but listen, all relationships are very transactional from the moment you're born. And as you grow, I like to think of it like a payment system. You know, you're going to have some, some really good transactions. You're going to have some great transactions. Then you're going to have some things that are denied. And then when you get into work and school and all these other places, you're going to be going through a third party payment system. So that means you're going to have personal relationships like your mother, your intermediate family that are going to have direct connections to to that transaction. But as you widen your circle and widen those interactions, you're going through third and fourth party payment systems. And that's where you get the ghosting. That's where you get access denied. So for me, what I like to think about is when I'm transacting with folks, whether it's professionally, whether it's uh, you know an acquaintance that could be like on the verge of friendship, I like to think of about them as transactions and you know i want them to be good transactions but when there's a bad transaction i like to unpack that with the person because i'm only going to give you so many bad transactions before that card can no longer be used and so i think when you really break it down to that simplistic you know i know it's i I know i'm oversimplifying it but when you really break it down to that that's why you get the text or that's why you because you're not the immediate direct connect like you're not in their immediate circle. You're not their immediate family. You might be the third or fourth rung of people. And so having that perspective and not making it or taking it personal, they could have something happening in that inner circle that could cause a lot of their third, fourth string relationships to fall for a while because this is more important than than them. So I think a lot of times we're selfish and thinking it's all about us. And a lot of times it might not have anything to do with us at all. I like the notion that this song isn't about you. I disagree with a notion that all relationships are transactional but that doesn't seem (laughs) (laughs) well like i don't i i'm married i don't view the i i I can't view that as transactional like it's it's a relationship that i invest myself into and like if i follow that out and i think this might be where i get hung up is like i I like to take things to maybe sometimes extremes but like if someone can't do anything for you They have no value. Everything is transactional because you're ascribing a value to everything that happens. Anyway, I'll stop because I don't think that's the point of this conversation. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you, Josh. That that was pretty calm. I think we all kind of had a reaction to Manny's point, but this is why we're agile disrupted people. (laughs) We are here to bring disruption. But We are having hard conversations with one another. Yes, we are. This is a damn hard conversation. Just because I said it's transactional doesn't mean the transactions differ. Like the transactions differ in a relationship, just like a transaction with your 401k is going to look much different than a transaction. Um, you swiping your card to buy a Kit Kat, like, right. It's going to be a completely different relationship with that transaction. So I don't get hung up on the word transaction because it's not that cut and dry, but I just wanted to clarify. Yeah, that. for sure. And just Manny, like we're going to have an episode on this. Like you just kind of inspired me <laughs> on relationship building, but I don't want to go on that tangent. I think what you kind of described was a compelling tier system in a sense, like we have really important relationships that we hold very dear. And then we have some shallow relationships. Every human does. And I think sometimes our managing conflict in our relationships speaks volumes of how we manage them in a professional setting and in a personal setting. So it's kind of like you end up judging your coworkers or your leaders on how they're handling conflict in the office. Like, how in the hell are they handling conflict at home? honestly. So I think of that aspect, but also the tier system is also kind of flawed in a sense, Manny. And I'm going to tell you why, from my perspective, the tier system is kind of flawed because that's what the assumption that you will never ghost your family members. 
that's what the assumption that you will never ghost someone that's really, really close to you. You can ghost anybody, quite frankly. If your mother or your parents, I'm going to be frank, if they're physically abusing you, you're going to fucking ghost them, okay? And you're going to protect yourself. So there's no assumption that anyone close to you doesn't have, I guess, the opportunity to be ghosted by you. But the thing is, when it comes to how we practice having hard conversations, the more we practice it, the more we get comfortable being vulnerable in them. Because we regularly practice having hard conversations with our children, with our family, with our friends, and absolutely with our coworkers and our leaders as well. Because with relationships comes the opportunity of conflict when our needs aren't being met. I think that's an unreasonable expectation to think that all of our needs are always going to be met with each relationship that we have. That's not necessarily the case. Well, I've hard-coded all my kids to their share location <laughs> if you want, so they can try to ghost me if they want to, but I'm going to pop out. <laughs> you didn't see my text message? Type it, type it. He's going to jump out of the bushes and stab them. Oh, my God. <laughs> I think you already Sorry, do that, that was, with your children, that, like MC. That, that, was, that was a deep cut callback. Yeah. Moving on. So I want to also bring the element of, I guess, the disheartening part of when you have a hard conversation and it just doesn't always work out, guys. You work so hard to have the hard conversation and let's say it didn't even end badly. You both just realize that like this relationship isn't working for us anymore and um, we're in two different points in our lives and the relationship ended in a civil way. Again, that's why hard conversations are hard because there is this uncertainty that you don't know how the other person is going to respond. You still have have to acknowledge that there is conflict because you have to be true to yourself. It may not work out, but what if it could work out? What if the hard conversation actually made your relationship richer? And the fact is, I'm sorry, like each new relationship is going to be exciting and new and trust is going to be guaranteed and everything's like rainbows and daisies. The true litmus test of a relationship isn't until you have your first fight and you have your first disagreement. And how do you recover? What do you all think? So I'm going to bring this back to Agile first. Oh, here we go. Particularly, uh, <laughs> not, not necessarily Agile, but um, one thing you hear often in Agile, which is fail fast. And so honestly, the faster you can have these conflicts, the better off you're going to be and the more likely you're going to know how it's going to end. And so you want to have them quickly as soon as possible over the smaller stuff because that'll inform you on how on how things are going to get and hopefully stop the bigger stuff. Right, exactly. And just not allowing it to snowball. Something else that I, I want to mention too, how often, I'm going to ask you all this, how often do we compromise after a hard conversation instead of collaborate? So compromise as in I'm going to do something to just kind of resolve the conflict because I don't want to fight anymore, but you didn't actually resolve the conflict. You just kind of compromised and you didn't collaborate with the other person to reach a solution that fits both people's needs. I mean, I feel like if you do that all the time, it's a problem, but I don't think that's a wrong thing in and of itself, right? And I guess I, it leads me back to the quote that or statement, whatever that I use all the time is, is this a hill worth dying on? Because Tabby, you and I could differ on something and we could have a difficult conversation. I can tell you, Tabby, you're wrong and here's why you're wrong and X, Y, Z and X, Y, Z. And you're like, yeah, I just don't see it that way. And I can be like, you know, it's, it's like a fork in the road. <laughs> am I going to, am I going to to fight and scream and kick or am I gonna be like all right whatever is that if that's not a fight I'm worth willing to have so you know what do your thing your way I'll work around you or 
behave around you or whatever it may be. So I think, you know, I kind of see it from that perspective. It's not a problem, but I mean, to answer your question, right, do we compromise more often than we collaborate? I think that's the natural human inclination, right? We're wired to avoid stresses, you know what I mean? And avoid conflict. So I think in more, more cases than not, we will. So MC, what you described was a difference in opinion. And again, that's absolutely okay. You and I always differ on opinions all the time. I think we reach a point where the difference of opinion has created conflict and we do need to have a hard conversation around the conflict that has arose from having a difference in opinion so maybe not compromising our opinions at all but collaborating in a way to address the conflict that happened so that we don't let the conflict itself snowball into the future where we have another difference in opinion and the conflict is bigger because we already had that one disagreement as it is. I'm with you. I'm just saying, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm the weird person who, who does this, but I can be <laughs> in the midst of conflict and say, you know what? I don't care. Let it ride. I'm, I'm not going to, like, I dis, I don't like what's happened. I don't like the conversation that we're having. I don't like how we feel about each other. I'm just going to let it go. And it is what it is. I'm not going to address it because it's not, to me, sometimes certain things are not worth addressing. Or, you know what I mean? Because you can have a conflict over a small thing. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it, to your point, it can snowball and become a big thing later on. But, it, you know, it's it's you got to pick and choose, right? Everything can't be a conflict and everything doesn't need to be discussed. Sometimes you just say, you know what? It's all good. We can have pizza tonight. We've had pizza four times, to the, you know, for, for dinner this week. But I don't care. I got other shit to do. We'll have pizza again. Pizza does so not meet my needs. I want Chinese. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with MC. And the point about the collaboration me uh, for me is the other person, just like customers a lot of time, don't even know what their solution is. And sometimes I'm like that. like, And so like you have to check yourself sometimes because are you complaining just to complain and you know it doesn't feel right, but you don't necessarily have even the inkling of a potential solution? So how can you collaborate if you don't even have an idea to bring to the table? And that's one thing that I tried not to do especially in the workplace is if I have if I see a gap in something or a potential conflict before I bring it up I want to think through and brainstorm some potential solutions even if I don't have all the information even if I'm not privy to all the meetings to have all the information at least I'm bringing something to the table that way you collaboration can be had but not a lot of people do that and that that's where it gets tricky Manny because you gotta it's just like you said you gotta think about timing you gotta give yourself time to prepare but also not wait too long until it snowballs into something bigger. But I guess the timing of when you come with the solutions to the problem. So that's one sided almost sometimes. The solution that we come up with wasn't an activity that we shared with the other person. And yeah, it might be helpful, but we don't want to influence that other person's ability to solution the problem because we're coming in with FBI. We're coming in with feelings, behavior, impact. So they are aware of the conflict and that they feel, I guess, the urgency and the resonance of coming up with a solution first without even knowing that you already have potential solutions. You just want to recognize, are they going to come up with a solution with you and provide a solution in the beginning before you even provide yours? Are they even going to care enough to try to resolve the conflict? You want to give them a chance before you solution the problem with them because otherwise, kind of belittling the conflict in itself. It's like, oh, Tabby came with me with FBI and a solution. I don't really have to work that hard. It doesn't seem like it's much of a problem. No, just to clarify, when you said collaborate, to me, that means there was multiple conversations 
because collaboration isn't just the first. I, my assumption was the FBI had already happened, and now we're trying to collaborate. And what I was saying is sometimes when those sequential conversations, the other person hasn't brought a solution. So to MC's point, which why I agree, sometimes is, is this a hill worth dying on, or do I need to pivot and adjust, work around? Or if they're bringing, even if it's the, a half-flimsy solution, now there's an opportunity to collaborate. Because I know that they've been thinking about the prior conversations and they're open to collaboration. I would like to introduce a methodology here that seems like it's it's uh, in the air. <laughs> uh, it's the vanilla ice method. It is stop, collaborate, and listen. Oh my God. <laughs> I could not find the button to mute you fast enough. <laughs> <laughs> It was either that or I was going to bring up Ice Cube and checking yourself before you wreck yourself. But the vanilla ice felt better. I thought Manny was going to say that. I really thought Manny was going to say that. I really wanted him to. I really wanted it. (laughs) I love you guys. So in regards... (laughs) This is how I get uninvited from every future podcast episode. Whatever. Jason, please go. (laughs) Yeah. So in regards to all of this, the one thing that completely changed the way I look at hard conversations was the book Getting to Yes. Because... I stopped looking at compromises. I never compromise anymore because it's not about compromise. It's can we find a solution that is equally viable and makes all people happy? Yep, exactly. Everyone's happy. And you usually can. You usually can. Not all the time, but starting there and trying there, even for some of the more mundane things, including pizza for the fourth time. Mundane? (laughs) (laughs) Uh. Hush, MC. Let him finish. It's useful to think about. There's a happy medium because, and you have to go back to what is the need? Yes. What's the need that's being expressed by the other person? Right. You know, because everybody, unless they are trained and practiced, always comes to a problem with a solution. They don't ever, they don't come to it with the problem statement. And so you have to work really, really hard to figure out what that problem statement is and how do you then address that? I kind of want to read that book too. Like it's kind of on my list. That's the whole point of just trying to collaborate with one another because that way everyone wins. In a sense, everyone's needs are addressed. We're not really compromising. So MC, when you mentioned, it doesn't really bother me that much. I fully believe you. But when does that become a habit and you start being in denial of your own feelings and then it becomes a problem? I guess that's where it kind of gets, it becomes a slippery slope. Sure, in the moment, it doesn't bother you. But let's say you realize after the 12th week of eating pizza, I'm getting out of shape. This is actually a problem that's happening right now. Now it's too late because I already said it didn't bother me before. And now I'm going to rehash this with the person, like with the other person. Oh, they're going to be pissed. Like they're going to be so pissed because now you're on week 12 of saying that it wasn't a problem to you, but now it is. So I would definitely unpack the compromises that you make and just make checking in with yourself, like Josh said, making sure that it doesn't fully bother you and it's not going to snowball in the future. Just always be thinking about not only your feelings, but the other person's feelings too and their awareness. And I'll share with you both. I recently had to end a relationship in the past two weeks and it was very hard and it was very painful for me because I took this person, I I considered them very close. And the thing is, 
I took the consideration to not ghost them. They did burn me and my trust was shattered. But me as a person, my values and my principles, I don't believe in ghosting people unless they violate my physical safety. That's my value. It's not everyone's value. I don't believe in ghosting people. If Even if my psychological safety was violated, if physical safety wasn't violated, I can't ghost them. So that's my value. But I still wanted to make the person aware of why this relationship is ending. And the thing is, I had a hard decision to make. Do I make them aware that this relationship is ending and why? And because I journaled it? Or do I just not say anything at all? And because I made that decision, it was still very hard and it was very uncomfortable. And to be honest, the other person did not take it well and everyone lost in that situation. But I didn't regret making that decision because the alternative was way worse. And that's why when we think about having hard conversations, we recognize it takes a lot of courage. It doesn't always work out. But the integrity is meeting where you are, meeting them where they are as well. And I guess having the courage to decide, are you going to ghost them and not make them aware of the conflict that did arise? Or are you going to tell them why in a format that makes sense? Y'all are just like solemn. <laughs> no, I just, yeah, you just, you just drop, you just drop some, some bombshells there. We wanted to give you a minute to process it. <laughs> it was momentous, guys. Like, I'm sorry that like we had to reschedule this wonderful and this powerful episode. And this literally happened to me in the past two weeks. I don't know if that's fate or not, but it really gave me perspective for this episode because the person that I was coming into this episode before this happened in the past two weeks was completely different. And I was going to be on my soapbox and everything, but I have incredible empathy now for every person that has a hard conversation because it honestly doesn't always work out, but you choose to live by your values and to think of the other person in consideration of how they're going to be affected in a way that keeps you safe in a sense. (laughs) Everyone is still solid. Okay. So I'm going to wrap up one last question. For all of you. Okay. So in the theme with today's conversation around hard conversations, when was the last time you all had a hard conversation and how did it go? So I think one of the most memorable long conversations that I had, I had with one of my siblings and it was just a, there was an issue with me moving away and not talking with family, to be frank, just to be honest. I didn't, I I thought I had been open and transparent. Like y'all got drama. I'm good. (laughs) I'm probably not going to call you. Y'all got drama. Like if you call me, I'll answer the phone and we could talk for hours. But yeah. So it, it was interesting. Like it was a really long conversation. There's definitely some tears on both sides and, and some more different, some more realizations around, well, I, I had assumptions and, and it was an interesting conversation. And I realized, you know, I, I just acted on those assumptions. I didn't think I was doing anything wrong, but what I learned was, was more like this person wanted interactions with me and wanted conversation with me, but they assumed that I didn't. Um, so it was, it was just, you know, what, what's the old phrase, you know, um, if you assume you're going to make an ass out of you and me, it was the perfect phrase for that situation. Um, and it was good, right? Like the end of the conversation was great because we were like, all right, cool. We're going to make an effort to talk more and have our kids talk to each other more and all that sort of stuff. And then things have gotten better, but yeah, uh, that's probably one of the hardest conversations I've had in a long time. That's remarkable. And just, I like the element of assumptions that you bring in. Cause I feel like that kind of ties into how sometimes we make things bigger than they are because of an assumption. We 
end up feeling foolish and having the hard conversation, but it's almost kind of a relief because now you've addressed it and now it's not a thing anymore. So my most recent hard conversation followed a similar pattern, but for different reasons. Uh, I was working with a team and trying to help them get familiar with retrospecting on their work and thought I was communicating what I expected from them and not getting results. And midway through a retrospective, the team just kind of stopped it and kind of called BS on it and said, look, this isn't working. And I'm like, okay, why? And it led to an amazing, amazing conversation with the team having a hard conversation with me, tell me that, you know, why the retrospective wasn't working. And what was great about that conversation is they wanted the same things I did, exactly. It just somehow they didn't, somehow I wasn't communicating that that's what I wanted. So that they, that they were hearing it or understanding it. And in the end, we agreed on how to change it so that it was better for everybody. I've got something that builds off of that too. I was in a retro, things had not been going so smoothly on a team. And I noticed that in the retro, folks were just saying small, nice, inconsequential things like, oh, I feel great about this. Like we made this progress, which like, I great, love to celebrate those wins. But there was just something in the air and there's just things that we weren't talking about. Like the project really wasn't doing well. And our teammates uh, on, on both sides, um, they were really struggling with a lot of internal politics and the typical things that happen in a business. And so we, we all pulled back and said, okay, I'm noticing that when we're talking about things that aren't going so well, we're only talking about very small things. The conversation went on so that it ended up with us saying like, okay, we feel safe enough for one another to say really what's going on. And they basically got the confidence that they needed to have these conversations. And so the next time we had a retro, the executives were in it as well and everybody got real. It was a great conversation. It was probably the most honest conversation I have seen on that team, which was really cool. The rest of the time that I was working with them, it was very different. That was like a really good moment where we all had this hard conversation and hard realization that like, oh, we're kind of scared. So that safety was nice. I want to add something to that, Josh. I had a very similar situation. I was consulting on, on, a, on a project and to quickly sum it up, it was a difficult conversation. It ended very poorly because we uncovered that this organization's uh, automated testing department was faking their automated tests. And oh, no. if, one equal, if one equals one test equals pass type shit. And while the, the whole conversation in the retro was very contentious, the head of IT kind of pulled us and, and our, uh, I don't know, account manager off to the side and was like, thank you guys. I suspected this was the case and I needed like a strong team like you guys to help uncover it. So while the ending was very good for us as a team, it was a very, very difficult conversation that was incredibly hard to have because you're, you're literally telling someone the thing that you do for your livelihood, you don't do it well and to many degrees, you're like purposefully not doing it well and, and faking it. It was it was pretty rough. But we've actually had a few people from that company that we bumped into after we left the, those projects. And they were like, thank you guys. Like that, that happening really turned things around for the whole org because we weren't running into all these <clears throat> crazy ass like testing problems. And they were better for it from what it sounds like. It was a gift. I mean, yeah. it was a hard conversation, but the alternative was way worse by not saying anything at all. Yeah, well, similar to MC, past two weeks I've been having, I'd probably say a, a, a dozen of tough 
conversations with family members with my mom passing two weeks ago. And, you know, I have a very similar approach to MC. It's like, listen, I don't deal with the drama, so I don't get involved. So, you know, and it was, you know, very similar, like, hey, you know, we need your guidance. We we need you to reach out more. And, you know, so for me, it was difficult to hear that someone needs it. But at the same time, I had to really articulate that just because you need something, if you're not ready to reciprocate it, then I don't have time for it. So you need to make sure that you're in a space in which you can reciprocate or receive what I'm about to give because I don't have time to do all that extra fluff stuff and coddle your feelings if you have not processed them before coming into a a conversation or dialogue with me. Because I just do not like having and going back and forth. I have more important things to do in my energy than doing that. So I so it was nice because I was able to explain to them my boundaries and give them expectations so that moving forward, if they want to have more deeper bonds and relationships with me, that they know how to approach them, which has never really occurred. Oh, man. And just I would like to personally acknowledge you, Manny, for joining today's episode, knowing what you're going through with the loss of your mother. So I would like to give a heart shape in the video to you to give you acknowledgement for still getting in the mindset for this episode with all of us today and that all of us here at Agile Disrupted feel for your loss. Thank you. Much appreciated. Agreed. Yeah. Big hugs, man. Big hugs. The stuff isn't easy. So with that, I guess note, I guess that's an awkward note to wrap us up. No pun intended. (laughs) We are out of time for today's episode, but thank you again, all of our guest speakers for joining today's episode, part two of Corporate Horror and Trauma, Hard Conversations. So thank you, Josh. Thank you. (laughs) I enjoy spooky season. Yes, absolutely. And thank you so much, Manny, especially you. Thank you for having me again. Absolutely. And our newest guest speaker, Jason, will be coming back. (laughs) Thank you. I enjoyed meeting all of you. I enjoyed being here. Awesome. And all you listeners out there, thanks for joining today's episode. Stay tuned for the next one coming up at Will Disrupted.